You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Happy Independence Day, and if you're here in the room or you're watching online, thank you so much for being here, and if this is your first time, we would just want to give you a special welcome, and hopefully as you came in, you felt the love, and some of you may be wondering, what is a bomb pop? Uh, well, it is a popsicle that has, it is red, white, and blue, and it's something that we think really goes well with the weather outside, and so, uh, but we ask that you take one as you leave. If not, the staff will be eating a bunch of them this week, and so we ask that you do that, and as you can see, we have organized chaos on the 17th, but some would say that's every Sunday, so take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 121. We are continuing in our series called Awesome God, and I am so grateful that you chose to be here on the 4th of July, and thank you so much for watching online as well. Psalm 121, let's stand yet again as we read God's Word, and Psalm 121, one of my favorite psalms. The Scripture says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You may be seated. Uh, On July the 8th, 1755, 20 years before the shot heard around the world in Concord, Massachusetts, the 23-year-old George Washington, Lieutenant Colonel George Washington, was fighting with the British against the French and Indians. He was fighting under the command of Major General Braddock. They had just crossed the Mahongalia River and were caught between the French and the Indians in an almost certain death situation. They were absolutely surrounded. Bullets uh, were flying everywhere. Arrows were flying everywhere. General Braddock was himself mortally wounded, and Lieutenant Colonel George Washington went to his aid, carted him off the battlefield, and then came back in to lead the troops and deliver the day. Uh, About 10 days later, on July the 18th, 1755, George Washington wrote his brother Jack about what took place. And within this letter, he talks about how he believed the hand of God was in the entire situation. He said this to his brother, I now exist and appear in the land of the living by the miraculous care of providence that protected me beyond all human expectations. I had four bullets go through my coat and two horses were shot out underneath me and yet I escaped completely unhurt. George Washington, who would later become uh, a part of the First and Second Continental Congress, would be the leader of the day as the general commander of the revolutionary forces and would become the first president of the United States, says that the reason that he was and survived how he survived was because of the omnipotent care of the providence of God. So Psalm 121 is one of my favorites. It is a psalm of ascent. There are 15 songs or psalms of ascent that the pilgrims, those people scattered throughout the 
the, the area would come as they, uh, as, that they would sing as they made their way to the city of Jerusalem, to the temple in Jerusalem for the feast of God. Uh, every time anyone ever travels to Jerusalem, they traveled up to Jerusalem. And the reason why is because to get to Jerusalem, you would have to climb an elevation because there were mountains that were surrounding the very, uh, the very city of Jerusalem. And for those people in that day, in the ancient world, the, the, the roads that led to Jerusalem were not paved roads. They were rocky roads. They were long. They were very treacherous. They were very dangerous. There would be robbers and there would be thieves. And so as the psalmist here is recounting and thinking about that pilgrimage to which the people of God would enter into the city of God, and he writes these 15 songs of ascent that he is now reflecting here in this second song about God's protection, about God's uh, strength, uh, and how God has the, the ability to help his people even in the midst of very dangerous situations. And so what the psalmist points us to is the incommunicable attribute that we're talking about today, and that is that God is omnipotent. That is that God is all-powerful, and He is the only true source of power, but not only that, the only true source of help in the world and in the universe. So God's omnipotence, his incommunicable attribute, shows us that there is none like him. And so the hope, the goal of the message is this, is that what we learned this morning is that God is the only source that our hearts, a source of power that our hearts are searching and longing for to give us security in this life and the life to come. So let's look here in three things. Number one, I want you to see our search for power. Our search for power. In verse number one, the psalmist says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. As the pilgrims made their way up to Jerusalem, they would see the mountains that surrounded the city of God. The ancients in that day and the, and the pagans in that day believed that gods lived on mountaintops. They would be those false uh, God worshipers. They would worship the gods of the hills, and they would worship the gods of the high places. All throughout the Greco-Roman world, uh, people, local entities, local areas would have their own gods, and this would be the god on this mountain and the god on that mountain. Uh, if you think of the uh, Greco-Roman world and the Greek gods and goddesses, just a few months ago, or just a few weeks ago, I was at the Parthenon, standing there next to Mars Hill, and in the uh, the museum, looking up into the Acropolis, where there would be all these gods and god. You have the mountain Olympias where Zeus was. And, and this was the mindset of that day that if you needed help, you looked to the hills and the hills would be the gods that you would worship to give you what you need. You would have a god of war. You would have the god of fertility. You would have the god, the goddess of fertility. You would have the god of economy. You would look to all these gods to give you your help. And so what you, looked your, what you lifted your eyes to is what you were looking, where you were looking for your, getting your help from. And so he says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Then he says, from where does my help come from? The psalmist is asking, where does his, is there, his help? Where is help going to come from in his life? Where is the source of strength for his life? The strength to make it today and to live tomorrow. And the implication from this verse number one is that the, the help that he needs is not going to come from the gods who were worshipped on the hills. He lifted his eyes, and he understood that he was not going to find help in the gods on the hills. All humanity, all of you in this room, and everyone in society, and everyone that you'll ever meet is searching for help in life. 
The reason that you're here this morning to worship God is you're looking to God as a source of help. Or maybe you're here because you're looking for help in general. We all tend to look to either something or someone to give us what we feel is missing in our lives. We're all searching for strength. We're searching for power. We're searching for security because we look in the mirror and we see that who we are is not what we want to be and we see that we lack what we need. And so we need a power source outside of ourselves to amplify our lives to help us feel secure in life. And so we lift up our eyes and we look to the hills. We look to the false gods. There are false gods in our day that we look to to give us strength and help in time of need. I'm not going to give an exhaustive list, but I'm going to give you some. One is physical fitness and athletics. We look to our own or others' physical strength, ability, talents to give power. We as a society are obsessed and we spend billions of dollars in the sports industry, starting in Little League and going to AAU traveling teams in the college and professional sports. People in our society pay exorbitant amounts of money to watch their favorite teams or athletes either win or lose. Our culture is one that is obsessed with fitness. We glorify fitness and we marginalize those who are weak in society. We marginalize the elderly, the disabled, the unathletic, and the unborn. We look to our own physical health and our own ability as the source of power or help in our lives. If, if I'm struggling, then I just need to try harder. I need to work out more. I need to get more cardio in. And so we try CrossFit. We try Peloton. We try Orange Theory. We try Planet Fitness. And we turn to those things in our life to be a source of strength and security. If I can just stay physically fit, I can live forever. But here's the thing that I learned early on in my very short career as an athlete. There's always someone faster than you. There will always be someone stronger than you, more talented you to than you, and a better athlete than you. And somebody will beat your world record someday. But not only do we turn to the hills of physical fitness and athletics, but we turn to beauty and popularity. We, in our society, give power, uh, and I think for, for, for wrong reasons, we give power to the beautiful. We look to beauty or beautiful people as a source of power. We tend to gravitate towards beautiful people. We idolize them. We glorify them. And people will spend so much money on looking beautiful. People will spend money on plastic surgery, on weight loss programs. They'll spend money on makeup, airbrushing, tanning. And they'll spend a lot of money on clothing. Even though our society says that we need to be inclusive and we need to accept everybody and love everybody, we still have big business out there that is teaching this to our society. If you fix the outside, the inside will follow. That if you feel better on the outside, you'll feel better on the inside. If you could just look better, you'll feel better. Even in the midst of all the controversy of everyone saying what we're saying, we're seeing this in society. Even though the society may be saying, hey, we love everybody just as you are, dress as you want, do as you want. Still, the overarching drumbeat of our society is this. Beautiful people are popular people, and popular people are powerful people. You say, well, I don't know if that's what's really being said today from Hollywood. I don't know if that's really what's being said today through the mass media or social media. Ha! Huh. Social media actually drives this theory. We have, especially among G Generation Z, a desire to be Instagram, 
TikTok or YouTube famous. There is an obsession with that. People want to be influencers. When I mean, have you ever met? I mean, I've met quite a few that you ask them, what do I do for a living? And I'm trying to be a social media influencer. People make a lot of money, and people are famous for being famous. And here's the problem with all of this. Beauty and fame fade over time. Regardless of how much plastic surgery you have, you cannot stop the decay. Oxford, there was an Oxford British study in which over 20 million pounds were spent to do a study that the Guardian newspaper reported last week that says this, research suggests humans cannot slow the rate at which they get older because of biological constraints. Millions of dollars on that study. Researchers said, we compared birth and death data from humans and non-human primates and found this general pattern of mortality was the same in all of them. So in other words, they pay 20 plus million dollars to find out that everyone is aging, everyone is dying, everyone is molting, and it's not environmental, it's biological. They could have saved a ton of money if they just read the Bible. Right? But we look to physical fitness and athletics. We look to beauty and popularity. We look to money and career. We look to money to give us power in life. Now, we all know the reality is the golden rule. You know what the golden rule is? Whoever has the gold makes the rules. Nothing opens doors like money does. Money gets you better seats at a ball game. Money gets you a better table at a restaurant. Money gets you better nutrition, better health care, better housing, better education, better opportunities. People may not know your name, but I definitely know that a lot of people know who Bill Gates is, who Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk are. Why? Because our society puts a value. You are valuable based on your bank account. You're valuable based on your status and your income and your buying power. In our society, the poor are powerless and overlooked. Wealth in our society is that which is enabling you to have real power. And nobody wants to be powerless. So we will do almost anything to get money and to get ahead. And what I found that even believers, we're more controlled by money rather than having our money in control. We, even as Christians, will fight for better jobs, we'll climb ladders, and we'll live in discontentment with where we are because we're looking at our income capacity and our buying power to give us security in life. Another one is personality and politics. We look to the hills of physical fitness and athletics. We look to the hills of beauty and popularity. We look to the hills of money and career. We look to the hills of personality in which we think that our ability to network relationships through our persuasive abilities will give us influence and power to push our causes forward. We use our ideas and our words to bring about desired outcomes. And we will go from trying to motivate people to manipulating them to get what we think we need. But even more so, politics. We live and die based on election results. We look to the hills of political parties and platforms and personalities and politicians to give us power. We think... That power comes in having a position or an influence on political decisions. And we want to be a part of a political movement to get what we want and have security for our futures. We look to the hills. And the psalmist concludes that the gods of the hills are not where help comes from. 
They're not able to deliver you in the time of real need. And whatever they can do is not long-lasting. And the real truth is the more we seek power or help from the hills, the more enslaved and powerless we become. The more we seek power from beauty or from money or from politics or from physical fitness, the more enslaved we are to those things. It's a great theological movie called Aladdin. Hopefully you've seen it. At the very end of Aladdin, you have Jafar who has now taken genie and now has got these wishes. And in his first wish, he becomes sultan because he wants power. In his second wish, he wants to be the all-powerful sultan, the most powerful person in the world. And then at the end, as he has one last wish, as he's about to splatter and get rid of Aladdin and Jasmine and all of Agrabah, Aladdin says, you know what? You think you're all-powerful, but there is one more powerful than you, genie. Because genie is the one who gives you what you want. And so with his last wish, what does he do? He asks for what? To himself be genie. But what happened when he did? His desire for power and being genie actually enslaved him to live in itty bitty tiny spaces. And in his pursuit of power, he actually became powerless, enslaved to the very thing he longed for, the search for power. I'll lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? But now we see the source of all power. My help comes from the the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, always faithful God, who did what? Who made the heavens and the earth? Here the psalmist says, help doesn't come from the hills. Help comes from the one who made the hills. No one but God is the source of help and security in life because none but God created everything. He spoke order into chaos. He created all all the sources of power in the universe. You know, as I was researching this, I wanted to share with you, just as we think about the sun and and all the amount of energy that is in the sun, and even every day, how many explosions of, of nuclear proportions happen every day to make the sun shine. And it's been doing this for thousands of years, and it is just as powerful as it's ever been. Well, who's the one holding that up? God. And verse number three, he says, he, God, does not slumber nor sleep. He doesn't take a rest. He doesn't need a break to regain his strength. It's not like God's doing some reps and all of a sudden he has to put it up and say, no. Nothing wearies him. Praise God, because I feel like there's days that I do. Nothing wears him out. He doesn't get exhausted. He never gets fatigued. Why? Because he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Just as he's limitless in all of his other attributes, he is limitless in his power. He is infinite in power. God does not merely possess great power. God is limitless in power. His power is independent, or in other words, not dependent on you or me or anything else. He is all-powerful in and of himself. It is intrinsic to God himself. And therefore, because of this, God can do whatever he pleases. 
So the Bible says in Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in heaven, is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Isaiah 55, verse 11, So shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the very thing for which I sent it. And then Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, after he had his encounter where he went Looney Tunes, said this, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. So if you think you're something, you're nothing. Okay? He does, God does according to his will among the hosts of the heavens, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He can do whatever he pleases and nothing is impossible. Nothing is hard for God. Nothing is hard Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah chapter 32, Oh, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. In Luke chapter 1 verse 37, the angel says to Mary, For nothing will be impossible with God. And then Jesus in Luke chapter 18 says, For what is impossible with man is possible with God. So what I'm teaching here, what the Bible teaches is that God has absolute power. God has the ability to do all things. But think about this. Just because He can do all things, there are reasons why He chooses not to do all things. There will be somebody, if they haven't come to you now, they'll come to you soon. Some knucklehead will come to you and say this. Can God create a rock so big... He can't lift it. Have you ever heard that one? Well, here's how you answer that person. God would never do anything that would violate his other attributes. So God is not self-contradictory. He is not going to create something that would be contrary to, to who he is. He's omnipotent. So even though he could do it, it would not complement his power, but it yet would, it would destroy his power. So Matthew Barrett uh, says in his book on the attributes of God, he says, In a world where doing things, everything has become a sign of authority, we struggle to understand that there are situations in which not doing something is, far, is a far greater signifier of power. So let me kind of break that down. God can do whatever he wants, but he chooses not to do whatever he wants because it doesn't show his weakness, it shows his strength. See, what requires greater strength is not doing whatever, whenever, however, but doing things under control. Self-control is not weakness. Self-control is a sign that you are actually more powerful than someone who can't control themselves. And so what we see in God's power, although it's limitless and although it's absolute, it also fits within His wisdom because He has an infinite wisdom. Okay? He, he understands things. And so understand this one truth. God's power is just as intensely manifested in what he chooses not to do as in what he can do. That's a huge word. So let's think about it this way. What requires more strength? Today's the 4th of July. Some of you guys are going to go and you're going to have 4th of July parties. You're going to have barbecues. You're going to have food. You're going to have cookies. You're going to have cakes. You're going to have all this food around you. Hopefully you do. Hopefully that's what your day will be. If it's not, we, you know, we, have, you, we have a popsicle, okay? There's one out there. <laughs> and so what requires more strength? To eat whatever you want, however much you want, or to have restraint in your eating? Which is harder? I mean, is it harder 
for you to just eat? You go to the buffet and just eat, 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 eat? Or is it harder for you to say, no, I'm not going to eat that third cupcake? Not going to do it. But what is harder? The restraint. Now, some of you, well, eating is not my big issue. Well, let's just do something else. What is easier? Is it easier to say whatever you want, whenever you want, to whoever you want, or is it harder to restrain your words? Right? Self-control is one of the hardest things to do. I mean, that's, it is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It takes God's control in me to give me any ability to have for myself to control me. It takes God control. He has to change me to give me self-control by His power. And so God is the source of all power, but yet he chooses not to do anything and everything he wants, not because he can't do it, but because he's wiser and his attributes are all, it's a simplicity of God in which they're all equal and limitless. So we see here in this, this psalm, we see the search for power and we see the source of all power, but I want you to end here looking at the security of his power. Again, the psalmist is seeking help and strength and security from someone who's truly powerful. And after observing that the power that he needs, the help that he needs is not going to come from the false gods on the mountains, he lifts his eyes up to God for his help because he knows that God is the only one who can give him what his heart is searching and longing for. He knew that his help comes from the Lord. And so the rest of this psalm, which is a song is an ever-expanding circle of promises given by the omnipotent God. So what you have in the rest of this song, as they're going up the mountain, and there's dangers, and there's toils, and there's snares, you have the precious promises of a God who not only can make promises, but can do what He says. See, when you think of the promises of God, and you, you read them, and you think, you know, this seems impossible our first thought should not be, well, God's word is always true, so it'll happen. No, our first thought should be, God can do whatever he wants. He can do all things. See, God has the power to accomplish what he promises to his people. I can promise you stuff all day long, but I can't deliver it all. God can promise you something, and he will deliver it. So what are the promises? Verse number three, again, going up this imagery of you're hiking, you're going up to Jerusalem. There's lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And so you're climbing up the hill. And he says here in verse number three, he will not let your foot be moved. He will give you stability in the midst of uncertainty. He will hold you up. He will keep you from slipping. He will keep you from tripping. He will keep you from falling down. Have you ever had moments where you thought you were going to fall? Have you ever had moments where you were tripping up, where you were worried, how am I going to make it? All this is uncertainty. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to fall. He will keep your foot from being moved. He'll plant you in His love. He promises stability in the midst of uncertainty. Number two, verse five, the Lord is your keeper. The word keeper here can be translated protector or bodyguard. He says, he is your shade upon your right hand. That word shade can either literally be shade from like a tree, shade from an umbrella, or it can even be a shadow. 
And so here he says that not only will he give you stability in the midst of your uncertainty, he will give you shade in the midst of hostility. He keeps you cool when everything's crazy. He protects you from the heat. The sun shall not strike you by day. I love the King James. It says the sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. God is a God who protects you day and night. He is a sunscreen and a moonscreen. And just, if you think of that word shadow, think about this. Just as your shadow is always with you, so God is always with you. He says in verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. Not only will he give you stability in the midst of your uncertainty, shade in the midst of your hostility, he will give you strength in the midst of depravity. He will keep you from all evil. This word evil can be distress or adversity. This does not mean that we will never suffer. It does not mean that we will never be tempted. But what it does mean is that God will give us the strength that we need to live in a fallen, depraved world. He never promised to keep us out of trouble. But he did promise that he would be there with us in trouble. Think about that. Stability in the midst of uncertainty, shade in the midst of hostility, strength in the midst of depravity. Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in forevermore. He'll give you security for all your eternity. God has the power and the ability to take care of your eternity. The struggles that you face in life are great. But our God is greater. He will take care of you from the womb to the tomb to eternity. And God can fulfill his promises to me because he can do anything. If nothing is too hard for God, then taking care of me is not too hard for him. So I don't have to be afraid of anything in life if I know that God is my help and my security. I mean, think about this. Have you ever encountered something in life that was scary? Well, you will not be as afraid if you have something more scarier than that. I, you know, think about this. When I was growing up as a kid, I used to, we lived in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas, and uh, my dad was a pastor, and the, and the elementary school that I went to was maybe a, a half a mile or less to, from my house. And so I used to walk to school as a kid. And as a kid, I had a bully. You ever had a bully? I had this bully, and they would just pick on me and pick on me and make fun of me. I was a little fat, little chubby kid, and they used to make fun of me. All these little things, roly poly oly, all these different things. I really did. And I just began to think my dad was telling me about God and God's Word, and we were talking about different things. And I just went to church that Sunday and talked about the power of God and purposes of God. And Finally, that bully just kept bullying me again, and I just, I, I had enough. And I looked at her, and I told her, I said, bully, God is with me. And I kept walking. Whatever you're facing that's scary, God is scarier than whatever's scaring you. And if you know that God is scarier than whatever's scaring you, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Hebrews 13, 6, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I'll tell you another little story when I was a little boy. When I was little, I used to be afraid of the dark. I still kind of am. Anybody else afraid of the dark? 
All right, thank you for admitting that. It was my job in the Brumback household to take the trash out. From time to time, I would remember to do it, and I would do it during daylight hours because stuff goes bump in the night. I'll never forget the one time, multiple times, actually, my dad would say, hey, son, have you taken the trash out? I said, no, daddy. I look out, it's dark. He says, take the trash. I said, no, daddy. He says, take the trash out. I said, yes, I will, but will you stand outside and watch me do it? Now, my dad, who I thought at that moment was Superman, who I thought in, my, in that moment, if he would just watch me take the trash out, I know that the boogeyman would be afraid. There'd be no animals. Nothing would happen to me. I would be safe because I knew my dad was there. Well, I love my dad, and he's still my hero, but he's not Superman. But my heavenly father is. And he's omnipotent. And he is my security in life, and he's my security for death. And his promises are bigger and better than any danger that I face. So how can we trust in the power of God? Where in the history of humanity, where has the power of God been demonstrated the greatest? The psalmist said, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? We don't lift up our eyes to the hills, but we lift up our eyes to a hill. A hill outside of the city of Jerusalem called Calvary. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. See, God's greatest act was not in creation, but it actually was in redemption. In creation, God created everything out of nothing, brought order to chaos. But in redemption, God, who could have destroyed everyone and sent them to hell for eternity, demonstrated His eternal power by choosing to restrain His wrath and pour it on His Son rather than on us. Jen Wilkins, on the chapter of God's eternality, says the truth of God's limitless power would be absolutely terrifying were it not paired with the truth of His limitless goodness. It was on a hill far, far away that God Almighty, Jesus Christ, the eternal, omnipotent Son of God, lived on earth. As Jesus lived on this earth, He didn't live in wealth. He didn't live in beauty or physical strength or athletic prowess or political power. Rather, the Bible says in Isaiah that He had no form or beauty or majesty that we should even desire Him. He was rejected by the Jews because He didn't use the power that they expected or hoped that He would use. Instead, Jesus, born in a barn outside of the city of Bethlehem, lived humbly before the people, lived in poverty before the people, lived in weakness before the people, and died on a cross, but yet rose from the dead, demonstrating His utter omnipotence. See, Jesus' omnipotence was seen greatly at the cross, where Jesus on the cross could have called down the mighty host of heaven to take him off that cross. You think in that moment, he could have just said, all right, boys, get me down. But he didn't. He could have enacted vengeance on all of us. But instead, he restrained himself and chose to love us rather than to destroy us. That's great power. Peter understood this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter's the one who wanted Jesus to be more powerful than Jesus was. It was Peter who denied Jesus. 
It was Peter who struggled trusting Jesus, just like we struggle trusting Jesus. But he says this to the scattered diaspora. He says that when Jesus was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When Jesus suffered, he didn't threaten. If somebody could threaten you, Jesus would be the worst because he could come through. But what did he do? Instead of doing those things, he continued trusting himself to him who judges wisely. Verse 24. And it was he who instead of giving us what we deserved, did for us what we couldn't do. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you're healed. Verse 25. Now think about this. For we were all straying like sheep. We were looking to the hills for our help. We were going to this hill and that hill and that hill over there. And we're just wandering around like sheep. But because of Jesus, we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of ourselves. Helper of ourselves. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. He guides me. He leads me. He's my helper. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. See, the good news of the gospel is this. The gospel message is not a help-wanted sign. The gospel message is a help-available sign. That because Jesus did everything necessary, help is not only on the way, help is here to stay. And if you need help, anybody need help this morning? Look to Jesus. He is powerful. He is able. He is available. And He is good. And if He is able to take care of you in life, or if, he, if you look to Him to take care of you in life, you can know that because He's already taken care of you in death. Look to Him. I'll lift up my eyes to the hills. It's not going to come from the hills. It's going to come from Jesus. So if you need help, I need help. I need help. You need help. Come to Jesus. Bow with me. And, and in the seriousness of your heart, come to Him. And just say, cry out to Him, Lord, I need your help. I need your help. I'm, I've been looking to all these other things for help. I've been looking to this strategy. I've been looking to this book. I've been looking to this person. I've been looking to this idea. I've been looking to this thing to give me help when I should be looking to you. So, Lord, right now, I surrender my foolishness of looking to other things, and I surrender to looking only to you today. So I pray this morning, Father, that for those in this room that are looking to other things to give them help, that you would help them to see that those things can't help. But God, today, they would cry out to you for help. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' beautiful, wonderful name. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.